Oh, man, I love that music, and it only <laughs> means that it's another episode of the Stem Cell Podcast. We're coming at you with Episode 7, Holiday Science Break. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat. And like I said, right gotcha, Stem Cell Podcast. What's up, Yos? Hey, man. How's it going? Happy holidays. It's uh, holiday season, and we're, we're back for just uh, a little quickie, as they say. Yeah, we got a little quickie, everybody. We figured uh, so we're we're taping this right now. That uh, a couple days before Thanksgiving, we're gonna you know we would just give a quick a quick little couple roundups, talk about some papers, and uh, give a little rant and sign off for the holidays and get back at you with some more interviews. So uh, uh, yeah, Yos, I was in. Uh, we'll talk about it a little later, but I was in California at a stem cell meeting and I was spending some time with my former boss and your current bo- boss, Dr. Lorenz Studer. Uh, we were he was talking about his. Uh, his latest paper that just uh, would be coming out soon. It's uh, Yosef's a uh, second author, I believe, on the paper. Is that right, sir? That's that's correct. I did a lot of uh, graftings and analysis, in vivo analysis for that study. Yeah, man, it looks awesome. It's a great study. It's a Parkinson's disease. We're, we're going to talk about it a lot more in depth uh, probably on the next episode, so we won't get into it too much. Um, so before we kick it off, I just want to... Uh, talk about this quick, Yos. I think what we want to do here, everybody who's listening, and thanks again for everyone who's listening to, um, you know, it's coming in strong still. Um, what we want to do is we want to get you involved in the show. So what we're thinking is uh, we would like you to submit questions. We got a couple a couple reviews, and so uh, one review uh, asked that we would discuss, for example, exercise uh, and stem cells. You know, what's the role of exercise on stem cells? Yeah, and I saw that, that. That's a great yeah, question, by the it, way. It is a great question. You know, there are studies. There are studies by Theo Palmer and Rusty Gage that showed that uh, if you know if they put mouse mice on a wheel on a little wheel and as they run, it increases uh, neurogenesis. So um, we we could talk about that in more depth. But what we want to do is we want you guys to submit your questions. So if you have a question about stem cells or anything related to stem cells or just you know in the world of science, submit them to us. Send them to us, uh, email uh, podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at stemcellpodcast. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll, take, we'll take a bunch of them and we'll, we'll answer them uh, live on the show and uh, try to get a little bit more interactive. So be sure to submit your questions. Again, that's uh, stemcellpodcast at gmail.com and uh, at stemcellpodcast. Right, Yos? Because we want to get some people on the show here. Yes, and... Um you know what? Regarding the exercise, fluoxetine and exercise, definitely good for the neurogenesis, right? Yeah, I, man. You got to get those neurons going. So, yeah, uh, man. It's only one thing to lose weight, but you want to get them neurons going. Yeah. That's actually kind of the back door I entered stem cells through. I was really into neural stem cells in the beginning. The fact that the brain could make new neurons, I always thought that was cool. No, it, I mean, yeah, I remember the first time I really learned that. That was crazy to me, that you have this ongoing site of new neurons growing in your brain. It's pretty pretty wild. Uh, before, Yos, before I forget, I met this guy who knew you. I was at Cedar sinai in California, which, by the way, is a pretty amazing hospital. He just started a lab there. He said he met you at uh, Yale. He was working with Flora. Um, I forget his name, though. He's working on in the hippocampus looking at stem cells. I'll, I'll oh. have to look it up. Um, um, do you know who's Nick? Jo- uh, so, uh, Cedarman, Silverman, uh, Josh, not Josh. Um, I know who you're talking about. <sighs> yeah, I don't. I have I John Silverice. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's his name. I'm gonna look him up. I'll tell you later. Yeah, he came to my talk. He was a. Uh, he's like, you know. He's like, do you know Yosef Ganat? I'm like, yeah, Yosef. I'm like, <laughs> we, we, we host a stem cell podcast. I was in the lab with him. He's like, really? 
That's the only uh, guy I know out west that uh, was with Flora, except for he, he, another. He's got glasses. He's got like short hair. He's okay. a little bit of an older guy. Not old, but he's a little older than us. Oh, then no, this guy's younger than me. Uh, so. No, no, I'll have to. I'll get his name. I'll let you know. Okay. Um, anyway, let's get this kicked off here. Yost is gonna give his uh, little science roundup before I get into some stem cell stuff. Go ahead, man. Okay. Uh, this week, actually, uh, you know, JAMA. Uh, what does that stand for, by the way? What's JAMA, the Journal of Amer- American, American Medical, Medical Association. Association? Yeah. Whatever, Possibly. yeah. It's a JAMA neurology study from Brown University uh, showing, remember I had talked about APOE before, uh, the APO gene mm-hmm. uh, having an increased risk for Alzheimer's. Um, the majority of people who have this variant don't get it, but um, about 25% of the population has this APOE variant. And um, I had mentioned in the previous podcast that it seems to make people burn out early because there's a higher risk uh, for Alzheimer's disease uh, with this variant, and especially if you have two copies of it. Um, so the rates are about five times as much for the HETs, right? So if you have a single copy of APOE variant. So uh, they did a... They did a study in babies uh, doing MRIs and showed that in the MRIs of babies, I think it was like uh, between one and two years, that they have more growth in their frontal lobe, the APOE variants. Hmm. Yeah, and less growth in the middle and rear regions of the brain where uh, Alzheimer's is known to affect a little earlier. So I thought that was interesting. Yo, do you have it there? Is it is it the E4 variant? I mean, what is it? Yeah, it's the APOE4 variant. So APO, APO, um, APO, it's apolipoprotein, right? And it's involved in what transporting lipid? Is that really? It's a as a lipoprotein transporter or something like that? To, to be honest, I don't uh, know. I think the it is, man. No, it, I think, I think but, I'm trying to remember because you know APOE has been really involved with a bunch of disease. I, there's been some literature on, on Alzheimer's, although they would never really explored it. So that's cool that they really looked into it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's a, a protein that transports like lipoproteins and like fat soluble yeah. vitamins and things. like like that so i got i got all distracted with the bases and the you know the yeah, the, know. the yeah, yeah, yeah. secretases and all that stuff i you know i i forgot about apoe but i know that on a genetic level human genetic level there is this sort of burnout theory going on um in terms of uh people having more development and i thought that um not development but uh more they score better on these tasks that uh this you know the scientists give uh people who have this variant but and cool. they have an increased rate of alzheimer's so um and this study was done in babies which i thought was interesting yeah that know? is um, very interesting. <laughs> so um i don't know if i'd let my baby get mris for yeah i don't know about that man but, um, uh, they had some pretty decent numbers it was in the hundreds um and okay, so moving on, there was a UPenn study uh, uh, from Jarrett or Garrett Fitzgerald's lab. Um, in it was a Journal of Clinical Investigation study. I published there. I love that journal. JCI, good yes, journal. Yes, uh, shows uh, that BMAL one. It's a master circadian. You know those uh, circadian clock genes. Oh yeah, I love yeah, those. I know yeah. there's some called like timeless and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. So the you know it mediates basically the light and dark cycles of the human body, and um, so that this. B-MAL1 gene, I'll just call it, B-M-A-L, 
or Mal won. BMAL won. Uh, so they had a knockout mouse for this gene. <coughs> Excuse me. And they showed that uh, it influenced uh, <clears throat> blood pressure and blood sugar levels and uh, lipid levels. And they saw that uh, there was an, a, a strange association with, like, they had signs of Alzheimer's uh, disease in the mice. They had, like, astrocytic inflammation, and um, they they showed that this possibly due to the gene function of BMOL1 um, as uh, in collaboration with genes like clock and uh, uh, NPAS2 that these... Um, these genes together act to uh, reduce the amount of uh, free radicals. And um, so they basically increase antioxidant uh, activity at the midday, like midday period. So, all so t- it's this crazy study that's like bringing together the circadian clock genes and uh, brain um, essentially function and neurodegeneration model of some sorts. So, it's so it's yeah, scary. I mean those do those timing those clock genes are crazy. I mean it's wild. Yeah, I'm they're so fascinated by those. I mean there's a bunch of classes of them and they're so they're really really cool things to read about. But the fact that they had uh, some crazy neuronal activity due due to this knockout was was kind of cool. I thought. So um, another study, Richard Yule or Y-O-U-L-E, I'm not sure how to say that, at NIH, um, published in Nature, a study on Parkin, uh, where they did an RNAi screen and showed that uh, turning off TOM, T-O-M-M-7, and HSP-AI-1-L <laughs> turned, <laughs> turned off uh, Parkin. So Parkin tags mitochondria and... Uh, basically uh, can lead to their degeneration. So by silencing through this RNAi screen, they turned off TOM7 and uh, this gene HSP, whatever I just said, and uh, they basically were able to stop, um, you know, turned off Parkin tagging. And um, they also showed that silencing BAG4 and SIR. AH3, CA3 enhanced it. So um, what they basically did is um, at the end of the day, they showed that TOM1 in uh, IPS cells, uh, IPS produced, um, neurons produced by IPS cells inhibited this tagging. So uh, basically, uh, it was a cool study on... So, so Yos, do you know the numbers on... So, Parkin, obviously, is um, implicated in Parkinson's disease. Do you know what the percent there? I mean, like, how prevalent is that? Like, if you have Parkin mutation, is it... Um, I mean, like, is it a very, a very it's, it's high small. risk? It's, it's, it's like 2% of the cases. It's low, right? Yeah, yeah. But, okay. um, yeah, and it's associated with the, with the disease. But... Um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It's the reason why it's in nature, and it's no, that's I mean for sure. Yeah. That's obviously important if they can figure out how that thing is working to tag mitochondria like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, did you know that resveratrol? Uh, you know that gene from wine and grapes. Yeah, I, yeah. I know about the wine. Uh, yes, <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> um, resveratrol can reduce meth cravings. 
This was uh, in neuroscience letters. So for all you uh, Breaking Bad fans, uh, methamphetamine, crank, or crystal meth, um, you can take some resveratrol. So can I just drink, if, if, if I would happen to be addicted to crystal meth, could I just drink wine to outcompete it, or would I need a more concentrated form? Uh, you would need a more concentrated yeah, form, right. but All right, so- you know, say you're the crack smoking mayor of Toronto, and you move <laughs> on to methamphetamine. You can now take resveratrol to reduce your cravings. Dude, so that thought, guy is like a comedy, a comedian's like. It's, oh, God. it's a very public meltdown. It's kind of fun to watch. It's <laughs> um. UBC scientists, uh, British, University of British Columbia scientists in Nature Neuro showed uh, that the lateral habenula, remember that? I love From the habenula. Your, yes, that's a great name. The lateral habenula uh, mediates cost-benefit decisions in rats. And uh, this is usually thought to be involved in just depression and avoidance, but uh, they showed this new role in... Um, cost-benefit decisions. And this is interesting because uh, they've shown that in, uh, you know, with DBS, deep brain stimulation, in that region, the lateral habenula, it, it um, may help, it's known to help depressed people um, and that it may help them by basically them not caring about the depression anymore because it's, it's sort of this processing of the cost-benefit wow. analysis of like, I don't know, feeling sad. So uh, that's cool. Yeah, nature I mean, so, neuro. So for everybody out there, the habanula, if I remember my anatomy correctly, it's it's crazy. It's a really small nucleus region. I think I remember it's a so the neurons there are reward negative. So they're in other words, they're activated by uh, stimuli associated with unpleasant events. Uh, so the absence of the reward or, or punishment, you know, when it's unpredictable. Uh, and then I think it out, it, it projects out the dopaminergic and, co- and cholinergic and serotonergic, all those uh, neurons that modulate your mood and things like that. So uh, that's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, we got a, a recent study showing that people with autism have uh, three times more, are three times more likely to have synesthesia. You know that uh, when people... S- See, synesthesia so when they see colors when they hear music it's a rare disorder it's whoa it's, man yeah. that's some psychedelics <laughs> i know there. you're like you're like i want to be can i can, <laughs> is that a bad thing to be synesthetic is that what yeah, it is you gotta wonder <laughs> if it correlates with like grateful dead concerts oh, <laughs> attendance man. i don't know but um definitely it does with autism so uh wow yeah they're three to- times more likely. Is that, is that, is that, is, do you know, I don't know nothing about it. Is, it, is, it, is that considered like a neurological condition? Like you no, know, I've only heard, uh, who's that doctor who writes the books with the, uh, Oliver Sacks. I've heard him talk about it. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I, it's kind of hard to even describe nor, or imagine. It's like, how do you describe a rainbow to a blind person? I mean, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, uh, what, what is that? You hear music and see colors. I mean, what do you see? Purples for uh, bass and like, I don't know. I, when I, you, you know, I've seen, dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> so that, okay. is, that is some psychedelic stuff though. Yeah. Um, on a more massive note, uh, the largest gamma ray ever was, uh, recently recorded. Gamma ray. Yeah, you know when like a massive star collapses and it creates this like uh, black hole and there's like a 
burst a gamma explosion and it's it's these rare events and we could detect them but this was the largest one not mainly because it was the biggest but it was closer to us than other ones were Dude, I mean, physics just blows my mind, man. It really does. I, I know. No. I mean, the quantum world is just like... I have no concept of that world. I mean, I, I, I don't have the mind for it, but I want to. I, I really would like to. I just I can't wrap my mind. About I bet you it was published in what, science? Uh, I believe it was science, but yeah, it's usually, that stuff usually goes straight to you science. Know, you ever flip through a science? Like, you know, you, <laughs> you flip through the, a science magazine and they got some wild stuff going on in there. <laughs> Um, did you cool, know man. that, that I, I thought this was appropriate just because, um, tis the season, but they found mummified ribs in the past. Mummified ribs? <laughs> yes. They were sacred. Like they were mummifying their ribs back in the day too. <laughs> Not just like King Tut and all that stuff. I thought that was funny though. I, I, I heard that in a podcast that, uh. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, did they, did they explain how that was done or no? They just, they had I no have, idea, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how, but they've mummified ribs. I love that they were like, these ribs are so good. I'm bringing them with me to the afterlife. You know? so it's like mummy, it's like mummy meat. <laughs> yeah. Mummified ribs. Um, <laughs> on a scarier note, there's this crazy bacteria called CRE, carbapenem resistant enterobacteria Kai or K, uh, um, they are CRE. Let's just call them CRE from now on. Is spreading. It's been it's spread to over forty four hospitals, and we don't really have anything to treat it. And it's uh, yes, can spread with, and it has uh, yeah, it's it, it can spread to it, it like via its, it has like transposons like jumping genes that it could spread this resistance to other types of bacteria it's it's kind of scary well that's not good man where yeah. where, where is this is it where is it around it's Damn, in the dude. states you know how like staph is like you know a huge it kills like thousands of people a year staph infections yeah from hospitals now there's cre and we can't even treat this one so it's a little scary every every place it travels it's like quarantine you know you have to Stop the spread of it. Oh, man, that's not cool. That always boy, that always weirds me out, man. Like, you know, like you never know. There's like a random bacteria that's just going to get you. Like you, you worry about all these big things like, you know, like these big diseases getting hit by a car and all this stuff. And then, you know, you get one random bacteria and it's a wrap. So, yeah, I mean, it's scary. like, yeah, I, I, I was I heard that, um, you know, the 1918 flu, the Spanish flu that uh -huh. um, that or is it 13? Whatever that flu. Uh, spread. It took about eleven months to spread around the world. And Ebola, Jeez. I think it was, or SARS. No, it was SARS. That one took four days because of like travel. Now, um, you know, you couldn't take a plane back, in you know, all around the world when the the f Spanish flu. So, but the good news is, is so does the news of it. So we can like put places in quarantine quicker with the internet. We can just you know anywhere that shows up put on quarantine more immediately and stop the spread. So uh, it's a two-way street. Uh, diseases spread faster, but also the uh, the word about them spreading spreads faster. So um, I don't know. Scary, man. That's some scary stuff. I, that's why like when I see, you know when you see those guys, those people, you know, so they wear those masks around, you know, like you're just walking around, you're in the city or I'm going somewhere 
I look and it's got like a mask on just sitting there. I'm just like those guys. I'm like, you know, like good for you. Like you're, you're protecting yourself. But like, what do you got going on? And why are you wearing a mask? Like, I don't want you breathing that stuff on me. Come on now. What kind of you know, a mask? Oh, you, know, you they mean got like just a... those little, those little, like little, you know, not like one of those like high tech, just a little face mask, a little cloth mask. Hmm. You just wear them like, you know, maybe they got a cold and they don't want to get anyone sick. But like, I'm thinking to myself, maybe not. Maybe they got one of these nightmare bacteria that I'm going to get or something like that. Like stay indoors. I don't spread that stuff around. Wow, I've seen that. Or I've seen that before, and um, yeah, it's a little scary. But you, you know, when pig flu was when it came out, yeah, yeah. people were people were doing that. So yeah, yeah. Can you blame them? No, you can't. I mean, I and again, like I said, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. you trying not to spread it, but like, I don't want to know what you got going on over there. And uh, finally, these uh, they they've shown that pulvinar neurons in the thalamus. Uh, P-U-L-V-I-N-A-R, pulvinar neurons in the thalamus uh, are the ones that mediate our, this innate sense of fear that we have when we see snakes. This was a, an article published in PNAS, or the Proceedings in National Academy of Sciences. Um, People out there love PNAS. No? I know, I know. Uh, pulvinar neurons in the thalamus mediate or that, that like deep seated response that we have to uh snakes so i thought that was interesting because they showed that in monkeys it was pretty cool how they did the study um and uh that's about it uh unless you want me to talk about this one cool study that came out involving grapes uh they showed that uh eh I'll get back to that another time because there's yeah, a whole back, bunch of chemicals. Yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep it quick tonight. Again, I I only have uh, I only have a few things to talk about. Um, but uh, you know what I was thinking about with the snakes, Yos. If you were to ask ten people, how many of them would say they're scared of snakes? You think it's like greater than fifty percent? Because I feel like it's almost like an innate fear. I mean, how? I mean, some people say maybe say no, but then you get them in a room with snakes and they probably bug out, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. This study too, they did it with some monkeys that don't have a fear of snakes, and that's how it, it it all came together. I think it was like pretty interesting, but like in humans, it's definitely like you see a snake, you freak out. Even yeah, you if, freak out. You know, if I were in my bed right now and one showed up, I'd I'd freak out way more than just a mosquito or a fly or you know even a dog i'd be like if it were in a pit bull i'd be like where'd you come from but if i saw a snake i'd probably run out of my house screaming and (laughs) (laughs) it's on some it's on some biblical type fear you know like here comes the snake you know like get out of here Uh, even like little gardener snakes i know they're not gonna harm me but if i'm walking around outside and i just happen to turn and see a little gardener snake i'm jumping back oh man it's a a weird thing And, and like you know you're so much bigger than them it's not like um, you know, but you know, it's just this thing we have. It's, it's I feel like it's just innate fear, something like heights. You know, you look at look at a snake, you bug out. Well, things without limbs are a little creepy in general. I know I mean, they all slither and they're yeah. weird. Uh, you're like you're missing something. What is? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, kind of funny actually. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah. So, oh um, uh, man. So anyway, all right, cool, man. Thank you. I was um, let me get some into some stem cell stuff again. Uh, we got. I just got a few things, but before I get into some papers, so yeah, I was at this conference. And I went to this. Um, it was a symposia. It was uh, held by Cell Press. So you know, Cell um, has a series of journals. They have Cell, which is you know one of the top, if not the top, people will argue biological journal. It's probably my favorite because the the articles are are in extreme depth 
and they're very long and well-controlled stories. Um, you know, nature and science give you a quick four-figure, you know, 2,000-word uh, story where a cell, they have 65,000 characters, eight figures. They're very long. Yeah, it's like, the, it's like for, like, graduate students or postdocs, it's like the heroic one that wants to do that paper for journal club. At, in lab yeah, meeting exactly. or whatever you yeah, know and, he, like, and now we'll come and get and, to figure six yeah you're like supplemental 18 <laughs> or figure 14 you know it's just like uh, wow this is it but it's always a thorough and complete study yeah it is so so they they organized um uh christina lilyhook uh who is a editor for cell stem cell and clive svensson who is the, um, he's at the Cedar sinai Regenerative Medicine Institute. I believe he directs it. They organized this meeting, and the meeting was called uh, Using Stem Cells to Model and Treat Human Disease. And they had a really great program. This is out in L.A. Have you ever been to L.A., Yos? I was there for the first time. It's Not right. for science. You know, it's all right. I, I was, we were staying in Beverly Hills, so it was okay. But, like, it's very spread out and big, the city. So we had a good time, it was, but we had kind of crappy weather. But anyway... So, so they had a bunch of cool talks. They had a, a bunch of. There was a really great lineup. So they had people like uh, George Daly, uh, Rusty Gage, Lorenz Tudor was there, Chad Cowan, uh, Kevin Egan, Steve Goldman, Sally Temple, uh, Deepak uh, Srivastata. So um, they had a really awesome lineup. So just a quick couple highlights. So Clive Svensson, who was with Martin Raff in Cambridge, and then I think he was with Jamie Thompson. Now he's at. Um, um, now he's out at Cedar. So he studies um, ALS, really, uh, some other things, but he's looking at ALS. And we, you know, we talked about this last time with, uh, with uh, Maruf, who's in Kevin Egan's lab. And so he's, you know, his approach, one of his approaches, I mean, they use IPS cells from patients to remodel the disease, so they make the motor neurons and so forth. But he has this preclinical work going on, and he's about to go into clinical trial. And he's about to go, I think there's like an 18-patient trial for ALS. So what he's doing, I don't know if you heard about this, but he's taking, he's developing a clinical-grade lot of these human neural progenitor cells, which are like neural stem cells, are just a little bit further down the road, um, derived from fetal brain. So he's wow. going like old school. Wow. Uh, yeah, he's going old school. I was not school. expecting and, that, because that's, that's less yeah. controversial in terms of you know, yeah. a fetus doesn't naturally become tumorigenic like a stem cell may or, you know, can do. But, like, that's a major hurdle in terms of tr- translating the research into clinical applications. So that's cool. So so what, he's, so what they're doing is you're currently, they're in the mid-stages of developing a clinical-grade model. So basically they grow them up and they just they bank them down. You know? So they have this, like, clinical bank grade bank of cells so they don't have to keep taking fetal tissue they just kind of do it in a sense once or so and they expand them up and then freeze them down they're getting the full <laughs> mhc spread like the full hlas like everybody's like you know there's certain i think if you have like cell lines about 300 cell lines you could cover most of the population on the planet just i think so but i i see like those details it's not it's not clear but i know that i guess the idea there is because you're getting fetal sample uh, you don't want to have to keep getting it. So they get it and they expand the hell out of them. They just grow them up, grow them up, grow them up, grow them up, grow them up. And then they freeze them down. And so what they do is then uh, they've taken them through preclinical studies and they're going to put them, like I said, into 18 patients. Um, and what they got is they have been engineered to release GDNF. Okay, so it's, you know, um, uh, give me the G again. You know, growth de- uh, factor, oh, sorry, growth factor. Go, go, go. Neurotrophic. No, 
factor. Yes, something. Oh wait, glial derived norepinephrine. Glial derived. That's it. Yes. There's so many. There's the, there's many. Glial derived. That's yes. why. So this is glial derived. So basically, um, it's a factor that was uh, studied and discovered a while back that glia, which are supporting cells in the brain, release and it keeps cells alive, neural cells alive, neurons. So. So their, their approach is to like implant these cells into the site of where the motor neurons are dying, and it'll keep secreting. It's like a lentiviral vector, and it'll keep secreting GDNF, um, and it'll keep them alive. It also or protects least, dopamine neurons, too, uh, for Parkinson's exactly. as well. So, so like, you know, uh, it's an interesting approach. It's one that I haven't seen before. It's not it's, – we've talked about it. So, so for everyone out there, you can use stem cells to kind of – we talked about remaking the cell that dies – and replanting the cell in, but another approach is to make it like a like a like a feeder, if you will, make it like a source of of uh, factors. And so that's this approach. You basically put these cells in, and they'll forever secrete uh, factors that neurons like and help keep alive. And so what this would hope to do is extend the life of those neurons a bit, so that um, these patients who have um, you know dying. Uh, these dying neurons can get a little bit uh, further out, and uh, it, it's obviously not a curative thing. But it, if it could extend their life, ALS is a really nasty, rapidly progressing disease. So the goal is to try to extend their life or quality of life for years, for a couple of years, if they can. Uh, so I never heard of that approach. I thought it was interesting. Um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I always commend people when they're they're getting things to start into a clinical trial. Uh, let's just hope that it's well controlled and and safe and taken care of. Um, so who did that? That was Rusty Gage. This is Clive. This is Clive Svensson. Oh, awesome, man! That's uh, cool. Clive, Clive the Glide. So there. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, Rusty Fred Gage gave a awesome talk. Yes, if you would have loved it, he. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it was very developmental, biological. But he showed, like, you know, he has these beautiful tools where he has these reporters, you know, so these prominent one reporters, which are expressed in the hippocampus. And he just he puts, he grafts them into these animals. He gets these beautiful, like, green, like, arbored neurons everywhere. And now they're, I think he's moving into schizophrenia a lot. He's starting to really uh, study schizophrenia. So he talked about his foray into the world of schizophrenia using IPS to model that. Uh, so that was cool. Kevin Egan got up, talked about his paper. That we talked about the C9 or 72 and his approach to trying to uh, uh, come up with a different kind of therapeutic for um, ALS. So uh, a cool talk by Deepak Srivastata, who's at the Gladstone. He studies of cardiovascular disease. You know, you know, I don't know if you've heard about these approaches. So we talked about reprogramming for everybody who, who's uh, either familiar or has listened to the show. Basically, reprogramming is taking a somatic cell and reprogramming it to back if you will, to we, in the context we talk about it, back to like an embryonic-like stem cell. But that's the IPS pro- cells that I had mentioned during the science roundup. The induced the IP- pluripotent exactly. stem cells. It's the reverted. We 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 sh- we already did it. We talked about that in the intro. See intro. See <laughs> introduction. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so um, so what? So there's another type of reprogramming, and it's called direct reprogramming. And what that is is. You can take a somatic cell, like a skin cell, and you can directly, or, or some other you know, fibroblast, and you can directly convert it to the cell of your choice. So Marius Wernig uh, basically showed that you can take a skin cell and you can convert it directly to a neuron. Uh, and so people have also done this with islets for, for, for diabetes. So basically, the, 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 with 
the kind of what they say is it skips it skips that whole back to embryonic like cell so you don't have to go back to embryonic and then back up to the cell type of or so that you want so it's more of a as the name and you know would suggest a direct reprogramming approach i don't know man i'm a little skeptical about that myself just because i feel like if you're taking skin and turning it into a neuron I don't know how I feel about how real those neurons are. This is more of an academic debate, so we won't get into I that I actually, right now. I, I just don't like them because they're not scalable. I mean, if you're going to go from a skin cell to a neuron, even if you're 100% efficient, it's not, you know, scalable for, what are you going to do? Skin something, some part of your body to create enough neurons to like, I, I don't see how it's clinically relevant without right um so, so, so I, I, Yosef, I like the i like the pluripotent sorry Yosef, I need to cut you off just but no I, just we, having a pluripotent s- supply going back to that state and then being able to expand i think that makes more sense but uh it's cool stuff no no doubt no it's it's really cool and so what Yosef's saying is so for neurons neurons can't divide so if you were to take a and they can't expand so if you just take skin and turn it into neuron you're going to get a neuron because uh, neurons can't make they can't make more of themselves. So, um, uh, like, for example, the approach Paul Tazar takes a, a Case Western is he reprograms scanner fibroblasts to oligodendrocyte precursor cells. Now, those can divide. So he can do that. Then he can expand them, and then he turns them into oligodendrocytes. So that approach I, I get, right? But, hey, as long as it's scalable and you can, As like, long as it's scalable. You, yeah. So here's, but here's where this – what I'm about to tell you about. Here's where, like, maybe I started to see the light with this technology. So – Deepak Srivastata is at uh, Gladstone, and what he's been doing for a while is doing reprogramming for cardiovascular, so making cardiomyocytes. So the obvious implication for this is uh, heart attacks, you know, myocardial infarctions, where you get you get destruction and death of the uh, muscle in the heart. So they've they've come up with a cocktail of transcription factors that they can reprogram uh, skin cells or fibroblasts directly into cardiomyocytes, right? Uh, and so what they're now doing is they're doing this in vivo. So in other words, they're doing it in the, in the heart, in the actual live heart. So he's, do, dude, he's doing it in pigs. So he gives, them, he gives the pigs essentially a, a heart attack, if you will, like injures their heart. And then they go in, surgeons, with this crazy device with a camera or something on it, and they deliver the reprogramming factors directly into the, into the injured muscle or right around the injured muscle. No way. And yeah, and it, it'll reprogram them into functional cardiomyocytes, and you can actually get like a restoration of muscle around the area and show that it, there's like some improvement. Now it's very like it's wow. very preliminary. I'm coming but, around like, on IN now or induced yeah, so, so, directory yeah, prize. So like, I never, I never thought about that. Yeah, actually. me neither. I'm coming around on it right now because the in vivo application is that's brilliant. So it was really awesome. It was a really cool thing to see uh, how uh, how you know you can deliver. It. And like he had, they had, they said they had to get like a an engineer and a, and like a lot of the, uh, a couple surgeons to. So you could see. Um, oh, to, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say to, to to come up with this device that would allow them to deliver this directly into the site of injury. It was pretty wild. No, I mean really. I, I'm like there are other applications now. Like, if you think about some like stroke or even spinal cord injury, if you could like you know uh, deliver something that creates uh, neural stem cells or something locally, 
uh, that's that's pretty awesome. You could regenerate the tissue right there. I mean, stroke right is stroke is similar to a heart attack, except it's in the brain. You're basically cutting off blood supply, tissue dies, and yep. if you can stop that cell death, you can you know recover a lot better or uh, stop all the more damage from happening. And uh, that's that's really I never even it was so crazy. I, I didn't know that was going. You know where I think they were trying to do that, Yos, with with diabetes. I think so. There was important mouse, so they were trying to reprogram um, the non the non insulin producing cells in the pancreas to become insulin producing by adding the factors and doing you know in vivo reprogramming. So you know, like I think um, I think now, I mean, I'm like you said, I'm, I came around a little bit to this whole idea of, of you know direct reprogram. However, for in the nervous system, I still maybe think it's a little limited because you'd have to gain access deep into the brain and add these factors, and it's not as controlled, but but I will say that for a therapeutic application where I once thought it wouldn't be necessarily so viable, I was really, really amazed to see that. So that was really awesome. Wow. Cool stuff, yeah, man. Really, Thanks really for crazy. sharing that. Uh, and- yeah, man. It was, it was really cool. So there was a bunch of more talks. I, I really, uh, you know, I'm not going to go crazy into them. Uh, Sally Temple talked about her RPE and for uh, AMD, uh, age-related macular generation. But I'll have her come on the show. We um, we really need to dedicate a whole episode to that because that I, I'm most excited about in terms of stem cell therapies, uh, the RPE. I mean, think about it. You're curing blindness in people who once had sight. And there's there's really good data that i yeah, mean yeah it, totally and they, they they say it's one of the low-hanging fruit because the yes. eye is so, so amenable to uh putting things into and you can actually it has it right it has its own lens so you can actually look in there and see what's going on you know what's uh, crazy is the fact that eye is brain tissue it's neural you're when you're yeah, looking you in forget, somebody's right? eyes you're looking into their brain tissue literally it's brain tissue <laughs> i mean you're like looking into their mind literally that's why i like the eyes tell so much because it is brain tissue it's like how it's, we see things on a daily basis is one of the most amazing things i mean so I, i'm sally down as a colleague of mine so I'm an, i know this study well and so i've been learning about the eye and the eye is just this amazingly fascinating thing and it's amazing that like you know we can see what we can see at the at the acuity we can you know it's really really crazy and it's real time and then there's like some crazy shrimp down the ocean that has like it could see like 19 more colors than us or something it's crazy how like you know, we don't even have the best vision on the planet, even though we see awesome stuff. I mean, imagine. I, I want to see all those colors. Maybe yeah. I can. Maybe I can be like that guy who can see colors when I hear music. Or yes, and combine that with the <laughs> shrimp, you'll be like this happy, trippy shrimp. Um, I would be like. <laughs> I want to be a happy trippy shrimp. Uh, so, um, all right. So that was an awesome meeting. So for uh, for everyone out there at Cell Stem Cell and Christina Lillyhook, I appreciate that. It was a great, great, uh, great meeting. Um, so uh, let's see. So we didn't talk about this. This has been around for about three or four weeks now. Um, so this was out of the Salk Institute, out of the lab of Juan Carlos Espesua Belmonte. And they basically created almost a mini kidney. Did you read about this? No. Uh, so it was in, published in Nature Cell Biology. They used pluripotent stem cells, so they did it with both uh, embryonic and induced pluripotent stem cells. And so they differentiated them into first the mesodermal lineage, which is where the uh, uh, the kidney would come from. So they guided it down the path. And then in like four days, they had like, you know, progenitors of kidney cells. Uh, and so then uh, what they did was they cultured these progenitor cells with 
uh, kidney cells from mice in these 3D conditions. So you remember we talked about, we had Dr. Jürgen Noblik on back in the day talking about his 3D uh, cerebral organoid. And then we talked about that 3D pancreas in one episode. And so now what they got was this remnant structure. It's like a remnant 3D structure of these, of these kidney buds. Um, and so uh, they did this also with uh, IPS cells from patients who have di- diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease. And they were able to generate these 3D kidney structures from these patients. Uh, so I guess that's a genetic form of a kidney disease. It's got like multiple cysts within the fluid. Does it look like uh, a bean? Is it structured like a bean? It's got like a little bud, yeah. It's like a, it doesn't look like that real kidney bean, like yeah. a you know a kidney. But it's got like a. It's definitely got a shape and a little like they say like in development it starts out this little bud, and so they show it uh, in the thing. It, it's it's really it's really cool. It does have that kind of like remnant of a little bean. It's kind of cool, man. It looks like these three D cultures are where it's at, Yos. I mean, everyone seems to be doing this kind of stuff right now. Hey, uh, um, I guess so, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, 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 sure, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, it still it still remains to be seen. I mean, it's cool, but like, what do you do with those three D kidneys? You know, like, yeah. Really, really, and and but I mean, the fact that you can make any three D organ that resembles an organ inside our bus is pretty damn cool. I must say. I I will say the one time uh, I did see uh, beating tissue in a dish uh, that I had generated by accident, essentially. Um, it was. It felt like it, it was alive for a second. It was weird. I was like, it was my one Frankenstein moment. Oh yeah, like, if I've ever had one, like you know, cardiomyocytes. Yes, yes. I, it was a bad differentiation, and there was like heart tissue beating, and it, it it was like the one Frankenstein moment where I was like, it's alive. Like it was like I was like, what is? Good? Look at that. I know. Thing. So you know what it's like. It's like I remember the first time I saw it. I remember like I wanted to just look around next to me to make sure no one else saw it because I felt like <laughs> I was doing something wrong. Like I had like this live thing, you know. I'm like, <laughs> that's great. I was like, what? Does any did anyone else see that? Uh, all right. So this came from the University of Granada uh, in Spain. Uh, Antonio Campos, professor of histology, and it was in the journal of stem cells translational medicine. So they were able to grow skin, artificial skin from stem cells of umbilical cord. So apparently, uh, I guess the World Health Organization said there's approximately 400,000 burn injuries in, uh, um, I forget which year this was, this, that study came out, but about a half a million burn injuries, which is a lot. I didn't realize. And it's gross, man. It's so, it's terrible. You ever see these patients? Awful. Where they have these just burns all over their body, and they they got to be kept in captivity because they can't with risk of infection. And they so so what they do is they try to regrow skin from other parts of their body, but it doesn't scale well, you know, because you're only, you're limited to where you can get good skin from. Good skin. Yeah. So so what they did was they they isolated uh, mesenchymal stem cells from human umbilical cord, and they were able to generate um, so uh, our artificial skin and. Um, they were they were they basically tested in vivo. It's the combination of uh, mesenchymal stem cells and some sort of biomaterial led to the growth of artificial skin and oral mucosa, which is a membrane that lines the inside of the mouth. Um, so they think that they have a novel source for uh, the development of this oral muco- mucosa and skin uh, for tissue engineering, and it'll give them a much more scalable, um, you know, founder cell because it's from umbilical stem cells, which people harvest and keep. Uh, to grow uh, skin for burn patients, so that's that's cool because it's scary when those, when you see that stuff for those patients. It's really nasty. 
Yeah, I remember. So people always ask me, like, do I bank my umbilical stem cells, you know? And uh, my answer really is I, I wouldn't just because uh, the studies really are kind of inconclusive. But this is one more notch that would suggest that it could be useful for something at least, you know? I'd say, hey, do it. If you got the money, do it. Yes, but- if you got the money, do it. But it is, it is a significant amount of money. But, I, yeah, I mean, if you don't have the money, it's not necessary, right? Because now with IPS technology and things, I feel like, you know, there's a lot more things you could possibly do. Yeah, it's, but who, there's something to be said for your own, like, primitive cells in a dish. Uh, we know that uh, the embryonic tissue is a lot easier to reprogram than the adult tissue. So Yeah, sure. It's more plastic. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, so this, I got a couple, but I'll just, I think I'm going to finish with this one so we can ran it up before we, uh, sign everybody off for the holiday time. Um, did you, I don't know if you read about this, but Pope Francis, who is making some noise in the news nowadays. Yeah, uh, I saw that. He, he uh, had a, he was railing against capitalism today. Yeah. Un- unfettered capitalism. He's, he's out there, man. He is, he's, he's just finished his first, first 80, uh, papal document or disturbed like 85 pages. Anyway, he, so he recently hosted, uh, McLean Hospital and Harvard Medical School stem cell researcher Ole Isaacson, uh, at part of a conference on neurodegenerative diseases. So, uh, you know, people know or may not know that the Catholic Church has come out against embryonic stem cell research, um, because of its concerns with abortion. And when, you know, life is considered life, there's that debate. Uh, so in Ole's group studies uh, IPS cells. Uh, I'm sure he studies ES cells as well, but he definitely studies IPS cells, which can bypass some of those concerns. And so Dr. Isaacson was part of this uh, three-day conference at the Vatican. It was entitled The um, uh, the Church at the Service of Sick Elderly People, Care for People with Neurodegenerative Pathologies. Um and so, you know, it just had him comment. It was, you know, he says that it was great that the Pope is making uh, aging and regenerative treatments a priority. And, you know, it's an honor to speak on this global issue. Uh, so, you know, Dr. Isaacson has been credited to help advance potential therapies for Parkinson's. I know you've met him, Yos, a bunch of times. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. And um, that I'm, you're just blowing my mind right now. I can't believe he gave a conference, you know, gave talked a scientific conference. Yeah, I'm so, so it's, it was called... Um, care for people with neurodegenerative disease now it wasn't clear if he was just being informative about like parkinson's and which i'm imagining he probably got up there and talked about the potential for stem cell therapy and parkinson's i probably wasn't a scientific talk but the vatican has um they were going to fund i have some ips work i, I know that they were they were thinking about putting money into stem cell research it's just obviously not going to be embryonic but he does study embryonic stem cells no yeah, he does, but he also does IPS work, and I'm sure you know that's an honor to get called by the Pope to talk about science. I mean, that's absolutely, absolutely, uh, that's impressive. And 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 IPS and therapies for Parkinson's is is very viable. And uh, if uh, you know, you, you say what you want about the church, but at least you commend them for for you know having someone of that stature come out uh, and and educate the people because that is a big time guy and it's, I'm, I'm glad that they do that well so I have to was, say as a non cat cool. as a non catholic I kind of like the new pope <laughs> he's uh he's a little more I like the new pope too yeah he's uh he's a little more uh, uh, yeah like, i'm not i'm I'm a, I'm a catholic but not practicing and I, and I have strong strong 
I saw a picture of him hugging like a leper the other day. He was like, come, my child. And he embraced him with all these yeah, like boils on him. I was like, wow. Yeah, he did. He, and, and then there was that other bishop who spent like $4 million on something. He was like, he was like, you're fired and we're turning your new home into a soup kitchen. I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> I was like, I like this guy. Well, another reason, another reason to like him because he had your uh, he had your buddy there, Ole, out there. So yeah, that's cool. he does great uh, Parkinson's research, I must say. So uh, he's he's one of the, one of my heroes in Parkinson's research. Him and Anders Bjorklund are are uh, pretty baller, and I can name countless others, but they're they're one of the two better ones besides our dear mentor former mentor for you dr lorenz studer who we're definitely gonna have to get on the show at some point yeah we're gonna have to i would love it. to hear his funny story yos oh man i would love to hear it yeah it yeah crack. it was so cracked me up <laughs> um anyway all right let's close it down now so i think we're gonna do a little quick ranto here a little rant rant yeah i think we got enough time for a quick rant what do you uh, uh what oh, are you yes. thinking about? Yes. Well, man? we we were just talking about this about uh people giving, you know, you give a talk and a scientific presentation and you know, if you're in science, you've definitely gone to one. You've definitely probably most likely have given one and um so you know what it's like to be behind the podium and then typically after a talk of about an hour or so or 50 minutes, the last 10 minutes are for questions, Q&A. And people raise their hand and ask questions, and sometimes you just get like these questions from nowhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So you get the guys who ask these stupid questions because they just want to hear about their own work. Yeah, so they're they like some, somehow want to talk about. It. So they're like, "Did you ever? You know, there's this study uh, out there that suggests that blah blah, and it's their work, and you know it's their work because you know who they are, <laughs> and it's com- sometimes completely irrelevant, but they just want to bring it up just to talk about their own work, and then you're up there at the podium, and all you really want to say is really. Really? <laughs> the class acts, the class acts are like the ones who are able to fend that off and, and be like, make the person still feel important. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, you gotta be political. So you gotta be like, oh yeah, that was a really important study, you know. But one day, I just want someone to go nuts, you know, like, listen. You know, sit down. If you have a good question to ask, ask it. I already read your paper. I know well about it. Imagine somebody was like, that's a really dumb, dumb. <laughs> question <laughs> you know just really just i've never seen that happen but imagine somebody just did it they were like i'm not gonna give that one even the time of day next <laughs> oh man i you know i remember i was funny uh, uh yeah Ihor Lamishka, we were in vegas and giving a talk and I, he was giving the keynote and i'm like do me a favor when you're done with your talk just go no questions and just walk away wow. just, just change it up you know at that and, point uh, you might as well just drop the mic Walk yeah, away. just be like, just be like, I'm done, and just walk away. You know, I'm done. That's it. There's no need for questions. I'm done. No, but like, I, it just happened. It, 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 we were talking about it. There was this. Someone asked this question, and it was just to be combative. There mm. was no. He had no. There was no. Like, look, questions are. I feel like when I'm giving a talk, I want good questions because, as as a scientist, like that's what we do. We ask questions. So, give me a good question. Spur my thought. Let me think. I should. You should. You know make me think about something i have not but don't just say something to be combative uh you know just to just to start a little bit of an academic argument especially in front of your peers and your colleagues and somebody did this they were just trying to be combative just to credit their work and i just think it's a little bit ridiculous you know you're yeah. grown grown ass man <laughs> settle down but you know what i have to say though nine times out of ten there are no stupid questions and half the time there are good questions um 
But, you know, we're talking about that 10, 10% True. of the time where it's like either somebody just wants to sound smart or bring up something or be combative. And you're like, come on, man. We don't care. Come on, man. Come on, come on man. man. <laughs> so uh, is that yeah, so, it? That's, so a, that's a that's pretty that. good rant. Pretty good rant. Yeah, it was. was, Everybody's been there. It was fresh for me because I just saw it. Everybody's been there, you know. So everybody's uh, been there. I'm glad you brought it. And now the next time I get asked a question like that, I'm going to think about this this podcast (laughs) event here and I'm going to smile to myself. That's for sure. Do me a favor and just be like, next. I'm going to be like, next. I'm not even going to entertain that. Just don't even entertain it. (laughs) So, everybody out there, uh, happy Thanksgiving, happy Hanukkah. Yes, that's a very rare uh, event that we have going on. That you get the back the, the double the double up there. Yeah, yeah, it happens like once every thousand years. So uh, very, very uh, happy holidays to all uh, all our American audience and Jewish audience. Yeah, we'll be back at him. We'll be back at him with some interviews. We got a couple people I think in the queue, so we're uh, we'll keep it we'll keep it rocking and rolling. Happy holidays, Yos. Enjoy your dinner with your fam, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. All right, take care, my friend. All right, man. Enjoy. <laughs>